CIO Talk Radio is brought to you by HP and Siemens Smart Grid. Welcome to CIO Talk Radio with your host, Sunjog All. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sunjog All. Good morning and welcome to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Um, if you have any uh, questions or comments, of course, you can send us during the conversations at questions at ciotalkradio.com, but also join us uh, and join our discussion on Twitter, which is hashtag CTR Live, and look for this show as hashtag cybersecurity. And if you have a question that you want to call for, it is 866-472-5790. Today's topic is cyber espionage, APTs, which is advanced persistent threats, and enterprises. And our guests for today's show are Roy Melinger, who is the Vice President and Chief Information Security Officer with WellPoint. So good morning, Roy. How are you? Good morning, Sanjog. I'm great. Thank you. Great. So you're enjoying your uh, every 20-hour day? You know, um, I sleep like a baby about uh, two hours at a time. <laughs> I love that approach. Now, we also have Michael Wilson, Vice President and Chief Information Security Officer with McKesson. How are you, Mike? Uh, very well, Sanjog. How are you? Great, great. So you are in the security community. How's that doing? Well, it's doing, uh, you know, well, let's put it this way. We're busy, right? Um, so never a dull moment. Oh, yeah, that's exactly what I can see. And we have Adam Hills, who's a Research Director for Network Security with Gartner. How are you, Adam? Adam, can you hear us? I'm doing right. very well, thank you. Sorry about that. No problem, and Hope Life is treating you good? It's, it's treating me very well, and our, our clients are also sleeping like babies. I love that. I love that spirit among the three of you. Now, today's topic is one of the first we are going to do as part of Cybersecurity Month in October. We have more security topics coming throughout the rest of this month, but this morning... We are focused on one of the security-related areas getting the most attention in the media and as something on the mind of chief information security officers, and that's cyber espionage and APTs, which is advanced persistent threats, and also known as, uh, you know, what, what I just mentioned. And we wanted to put some of these concerns into perspective for an enterprise dealing with these challenges. So, Roy, starting with you, why do you think this APT is becoming the the recent buzzword in the cybersecurity area, and and we of course have different security issues. But what's so special about this? Well, you know, advanced persistent threats certainly are getting a lot of media coverage. Um, it's certainly a topic um, that's being talked about with security firms and consulting firms and vendors. So boards of directors, executive management are hearing a lot about this. Um, those of us in the you know, cyber community on the security side have been dealing with APTs for a while. So they're not new threats. Um, they're just threats that I think are finally getting a lot of publicity, um, and people are becoming more and more aware of them. So it's a threat like any other risk that you have to deal with, um, but it's certainly a heightened risk that has uh, a lot more uh, visibility than it, it had a few years ago. So, uh, Mike, when you look in the world that you live in, and that I'm assuming is more closely working with healthcare, do you think that has got far bigger risk as APT versus another type of security uh, that you've been dealing with all along? So you're sleeping like a baby, but maybe only one hour at a time. <laughs> well, yeah, well, healthcare's got a lot going on at the moment, right? So, 
you know, when I think about in terms of the healthcare context, you know, we've just got a we've got a perfect storm going on. So we've got a lot of change in technology. I mean, we've got the cloud and mobility and all of these good things. We've got an administration that's trying to, um, and I would say quite successfully, digitize healthcare. Right? Um, got a lot of regulation. Is what it is. It's a regulated industry, and you've got a lot of population concerns in relation to expenditures around healthcare. You've heard about the insurance exchanges, and again, they're all supported by technology and the like. And the net net is, you know, you're looking for a health system in America that's going to be very interoperable, right? Accessible um, and digitized. And this is happening literally in the last few years, right? So um, when you put out this term, uh, advanced persistent threat. You know, I think it really speaks to a whole range of issues across different industries. And in the healthcare industry, notwithstanding sort of biotech and uh, clinical trials and biomedical devices, in the whole, it's a privacy conversation, right? It's about, you know, our patient data being out in computer systems and used for the delivery of, of healthcare. And the challenge we have there with this APT concept is, you know, as I said, it, it covers a range of threats. So in the healthcare context, a lot of those threats are pretty straightforward, but um, are hitting a level of sophistication because of the um, you know, different devices and, 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 and challenges in, in terms of different delivery of, of, of health systems and such, for instance, mobility platforms in the cloud. So we're seeing a lot of issues around phishing attempts, which is this concept of emails going to patients and going to employees in our organization and and, and, you know, asking them to click on things that look very legitimate. I mean, we see this in our own home context at home. And you click on it, and sure enough, something happens in the background that you don't know, and, and there's, a, there's potential theft of data and, 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 and concerns in that regard. That, that concept's been around for a long time, but we, we bracket that as advanced persistent threats. So in healthcare, I think it's about fear and uncertainty and doubt around what is APT and this reliance, and if you will sort of almost Hippocratic oath that we're putting out there to sort of help the patient in terms of do no harm. And so it's more of this fear, uncertainty and doubt in terms of the harm that I think we're seeing in healthcare around this concept of advanced persistent threat because it's such a vague concept, right? So anyway. So with that said, so Adam, now that's a very good segue into actually asking what on earth is APT and is it different for different people based on their context and or industry? Well, first of all, um, let me start by taking issue with the term advanced persistent threat. Um, that's been a term that we at Gartner believe has been overhyped by vendors first and by the press second, and it tends to distract organizations from evolving their security controls and processes. So as both of, as both of um, the preceding speakers note, um, whether it's called APT or not doesn't make much difference to them. Um, what we really, really define it as is basically new vectors of attack, that occur under the normal radar, that they avoid detection. They have a specific goal in mind. They are, of course, persistent. They often subsist in networks for a long time before they actually act, and then they act consistently for, for a period of time. Um, they're well-funded attacks that, that, you know, once in a while come from states, from nation states, but mostly don't. They're mostly profit-oriented. Um, the, the APT term tends to focus attention on nation states and diverts attention from the real issue of detection, regardless of source. So, um, you know, when it comes down to it, advanced threats are using targeted attacks to get past standard levels of security controls, and poor security practices and unmonitored employee behavior 
can can undermine the efficiency of advanced threat detection technologies. So we we prefer to call it advanced targeted attacks, just to avoid the the sort of the FUD that that Michael referred to. But but um, you know whatever we call it, we have to take we have to take measures as as an, as an industry to combat this sort of um, new level of threat. And it's a, it's a continuum, right? It's not it's not that this is new, as both speakers have said. It's that. Um, the bad guys have figured out ways to um, more consistently get past our, our, our defense in depth that we typically have in, in, our, in our networks and in our enterprises. So, Roy, if you were to look at the, the APT scenario, which could very well be because someone is behind our nation to create uh, a disruption, it could be someone who's trying to indulge in, um, you know, some sort of an espionage in an enterprise, or there is some other form of data collection happening. I'm assuming that this pattern or this approach has been there all along. It's is it is it like a not a sugar coated but a rewrapped security challenges which were always existed and now we just are focusing on it because we needed something new? Yes and no, Sanjog. I think um, you know individual hackers themselves usually aren't referred to as an advanced persistent threat or an APT. Um, that term is more associated now with nation-state uh, or large financial crime organizations. Um, when you look at the types of attacks that have been classified as an APT, uh, you're not looking at the lone wolf, um, which is what you know previously we had in the hacking world. It was more the badge of honor. Today you're looking at very dedicated attacks, as Adam said uh, and Michael, that are, are targeting your organization to get in. So whether you're a financial services sector, healthcare, you know, advanced manufacturing, Department of Defense, you're looking at attacks coming from you know more uh, nation states like China, North Korea, Iran. You're looking at groups like you know Hezbollah. Um, you know, the Al-Qassam cyber fighters, the Islamic climate, uh, um, groups in, in, in Southeast Asia, looking to either disrupt, you know, you know, the economic cycles of the United States, uh, to disrupt a specific organization, or to get in to steal intellectual property um, using advanced techniques. So I think that's the difference. That's the paradigm shift we've seen in corporate security and the information security side. You know, before it was the lone actors or, or, or small groups. Now it's very targeted attacks with uh, specific information that they're trying to exfiltrate, if you will, from your, your company. So, Mike, would you think that earlier we had a bunch of uh, lone warriors who were trying, who had nothing better to do, and so they were causing disruption and feeling good about themselves, and now they've found a revenue generation opportunity, so these, these activities have been institutionalized, and, and they are really becoming a bigger pain because now they can be equally or even more sophisticated than uh, your your team and yourself as a group who is trying to figure out what are they going to do next. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so when we think about you know what's driving the threat actors, if you will, to you know, um, concern themselves with the time and effort required to you know put out an, an, an APT or drive. Um, a targeted attack on an organization, it's, it's not without resource, right? And so we hear uh, there's a, a report out, uh, it's a public report, you can download it from a company called Mandiant. And I think it tells a very interesting story about a group in a nation state that um, happens to be China and discusses, you know, their resources uh, associated with, you know, efforts to effectively, you know, 
steal information from all, from companies in America and other and other and other countries. And and I think that's a key point I just framed at the last last area there, which is in, in reality this this threat. You know, we we do tend to in America demonize, I think countries and organizations and you know there's the bad guys and the good guys the reality is life isn't as we all know that simple and so we're we're multinationals i mean mckesson corporation is a health services company it's a multinational we're in geographies all over the world including asia and you know we're happy to be there and servicing and supporting those those countries and those in, in many cases administrations and most large companies are in that frame so on the one side of this, we're talking about, you know, really a understanding a motivation. The other issue is how do we stop, you know, a targeted attack? And the two are mutually exclusive to some degree from my standpoint. So, you know, we are in these parts of the world and we have many threat actors, both criminal, that are trying to, you know, convert, for instance, um, in our context, um, we monitor our systems and, and our accounts, our, our customers' accounts as they log into websites and things like that, right? And we commission a service that helps understand, you know, when our customer might, you know, have a, a fly-by attack or some issue on their machine, their PC, their laptop, their device, and it steals their credential and puts that out, you know, on the Internet for sale. And we've been able to sort of come back and so, you know, 500-plus um, credentials that have been stolen from our customers found those and come back to our customers and say, hey, look, you know, somebody's trying to sell your password. I'm not completely sure why, um, but it's out there and it has a monetary value. So the motivations and how you know the threat actors are either converting this into intellectual property for some jump-started innovation or just stealing some patient data or some personal data for some you know financial gain, it's hard to sort of warrant. I think the issue is we just have to assume it's coming from everywhere. The motivations are unusual. We're in these environments and in these countries to to perform uh, services and work. And you know, we're not going to get into the political realm of discussing whether the pros and cons of all of that. Um, and so we just have to deal with the reality that you know our companies are under attack in some way, shape, or form. Could be targeted. Take- could be uh, could be more more straightforward. We just have to respond to it. You know. Great. So let's take a quick break, listeners, when we come back. So, Adam, based on uh, Mike's response, it looks like that there are things happening and uh, people may have motivation. We're not truly clear. But is there a pattern of how these things are carried out? And is there a set of, uh, you know, sources from where this is happening so that we are able to start making sense and have our intervention strategy on how we would go about securing our fort proactively versus having to wait for the next attack or, or just plugging one hole only to find out there's another one open. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back. The U.S. and Canada represent just 5% of the global population, but collectively we consume about 35% of the world's resources. Supply is not keeping up with demand, so change is not an option. It's imperative. Siemens brings knowledge to power through modernization, responsible energy consumption, and greening the grid projects. Siemens Smart Grid has the answers. Just Google Lead the Charge Portal. Wait, is that your pager? 
There's nostalgic, and then there's completely irrelevant, like having a hardware-heavy business phone system. These days, over 300,000 businesses use RingCentral, the cloud-based business communication solution for the way you work. Set up multiple users in multiple locations in minutes and manage the entire system on your smartphone starting at $19.99 a month per user. So get that 20th century phone system out of your 21st century business. Sign up for a free trial at RingCentral.com. The switchboards and Rolodexes are gone, and so is the need for a hardware-heavy phone system. These days, over 300,000 businesses use RingCentral, the cloud-based business communication solution for the way you work. Set up multiple users in multiple locations with voice, text, conferencing, even Salesforce integration, and manage your entire system on your smartphone starting at $19.99 a month per user. So get that ancient phone system out of your modern office and off your bottom line. Sign up for a free trial at RingCentral.com. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sun Jog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sun Jog All. Welcome back. So, Adam, let me uh, bring back that comment you made that this could be, for the most part, a hype built by vendors. Of course, you know, they're, they're there to build a market share, etc., if there is something, there is some some meat to this. That means things are happening. And how how new, uh, how much newness do we have? Novelty do we have in this particular APT uh, approach? And if that's the case, is there a pattern that you're able to find versus thinking I do not know what's happening, so I'm not sure what solution we can build. Sure, and, and not all not all vendor messaging is hype. By the way, some of it um, actually does solve enterprise problems. Um, so, so one of the real advances we've seen is that, is that the bad guys are building malware that is designed to get past the existing, say, firewall and intrusion prevention systems, for example. So it's, it's built that way. Um, we, we, can't, we, we can't look deep, deeply enough into the, into the, into the malware-ridden attachments to see that things are bad until it gets to the end point, at which point, um, if, it's, if it's a well-built piece of malware, it will, it will evade detection at the end point as well. So we're seeing basically unknown attacks, unknown malware that, that we've never seen before. Um, the, the one way one way the industry is getting past this and organizations are is to um, think about how to look at that how to look at that malware before it hits the endpoint. So or or be, as it hits the endpoint and then and then do cleanup work afterwards. Earlier earlier Mandiant was mentioned and they're great at, at incident response. They have software built to understand when bad stuff has gotten to the endpoint. There are others out there, like, for example, FireEye and, and a number of other vendors, who are who are, um, who are building sandboxes to execute malware um, it, um, before at, a, at an appliance level or, or at a cloud level, so that so that we can see the malware has gone through, and then we can take the appropriate um, actions to clean it. There are other forensics tools, there are other endpoint-oriented tools, and there are other um, network-level tools that can look at that can look at um, Command and control traffic. So once your once your endpoint is infected, um, Dombala, for example, can see 
communication attempts back to known botnet hosts. Um, so th- those are just a few of the companies out there addressing this, and 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 there are a number of those approaches employed together can can help can help um, contain damage done by malware that gets through. No longer can we block everything. Now we have to respond to things that get through, and using a combination of those kinds of tools can certainly help um, folks like Michael and Roy um, put put together a strategy that that contains damage and and doesn't let um, the the bad data exfiltrating stuff persist in their networks forever. Uh, Adam, do you see a pattern in the style of of these attacks? Is there some some? If I were to write a white paper on it, can I draw a schematic which says these are some of the most prevalent ways in which APTs are implemented? At this point, um, drawing a schematic might be difficult, but certainly, um, certainly, the the, the malefactors, the adversaries, are developing. Um, are developing strategies to evade things like FireEye, um, you know, so so they can delay ex- they can delay execution, they can um, n- you know not execute for say six weeks, so so the FireEye won't see it if they're if they're executing it um, on their appliance because it doesn't execute immediately, things like that. There's it's a constant it's a constant move to get ahead of the tools that people are employing. Um, we're seeing we're seeing all kinds of evasion techniques um, to 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 so that so that um, the bad the, the bad traffic can get past intrusion prevention systems, for example. We're we're seeing um, a combination of, of those kinds of techniques well, combined with combined with really malicious files that that are really um, you know compromising organizations. I, I think Sanjog, when you look at um, the historic intelligence that we've seen, um, you know, almost a hundred percent of the successful you know APT type breaches or attacks have um, really relied on compromised end-user credentials. Um, I think, as Mike and Adam have said, um, you know, phishing attacks, malware that uh, is, is generally throwing out the, the, the wide net, or spear phishing, where, you know, specific, you know, executives or users in your, your organization are, are targeted, um, who have their credentials compromised, is what has begun most of the APT attacks, and that leads to credential you know, privilege escalation. Um, and then, you know, the, the attackers wind up getting the passwords to administrative accounts or privileged accounts on your servers, and, and that is the way most of these operate. So, I mean, there are things that you can do. Uh, there's definitely, as Adam said, you know, some devices and vendors out there that have you know, product specifics, but there's you know some basics that CISOs can do as well. And when you look at uh, hardening your systems, making sure that you have all your security and operating system patches uh, in place, uh, end user awareness, I think, is critical. You know, if you can teach your your end user community not to click on attachments and not to click on links and and be suspicious and and really read the messages that are coming in, there are defensive measures out there that can prevent a lot of these APTs, as well as having some of the devices, like Adam said, uh, as part of your defensive strategy. Now, what you just said, of course, you know, these are, and you basically focused on uh, compromising somebody's credentials. But if you think about the ways people are getting penetration is also, as Adam mentioned, but through malware or, or other approaches. And he also agreed that there is no direct way of creating a schematic which will draw how this is all happening. So this almost looks like, Roy, that it is a shot in the dark and or we are going to try the best we can and God bless us all. You know, it, it's one of both. Um, 
oftentimes the attackers will cast a wide net and they'll throw malware out there. Um, they know what the vulnerabilities are uh, for both operating systems and applications, whether it's an Adobe PDF you know, or Microsoft, you know, Microsoft Word application, et cetera. And they'll throw the malware out there hoping an end user you know, will, trigger, um, will trigger that. And at that point, it, it may be automated, it may be manual, um, where the attack deepens. So that is often how it begins. So the casting of a wide net, I think, is accurate for many of these, unless you're being targeted specifically um, by one of the nation states because, for example, you have intellectual property that they're interested in. And then it may be a very dedicated, specific, you know, spear phishing type of an attack where they know from, you know, the social media sites, the you know, information about your executives or some of your IT staff, and then they're targeting you hoping that, you know, somebody will click on a link, click on some malware that will help actually provide that backdoor access into the network. So, um, Mike, if you were to look at this, would you say we rather give up trying to figure out what the source is, what the pattern is, and just try to deal with it when it is close to our param parameters? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, with my earlier comment, notwithstanding, I think it's fair to say that, you know, we, we all survive or fail together. And so I almost think of this topic, security in general, but particularly this APT concept, um, as being almost a, a, a corporate social awareness issue. Um, in so much as it doesn't really matter whether we're competitors, and it doesn't really matter um, which industry we come from, notwithstanding our threats may be a little different and the targets may be a little different. Um, the issue is that we're all facing it the same. So I think there's this um, very real need to you know, acknowledge the threat and the threat actors and den I mean, denial about it. At the same time, um, to look for ways to, and, and you probably have heard this, this challenge that we do have in the, in the industry of security and risk management and sharing information. And the most polarizing effect of that, and at least in the United States, is sharing information between, you know, government agencies and private sector. And then within sectors themselves, you'll see this issue come out in terms of, particularly in the legal context, um, and particularly in the privacy context. Um, and this, this comes through in multinationals that cross geographic borders, you know. What the monitoring that's acceptable in the United States may or may not be acceptable in, in European communities and so forth. And the reality here is it's all about so sharing information, understanding what is going on in the context of the moment. And the moment being the moment, not two days from now, but literally within half an hour or minutes of issues happening. And they often happen to many companies at the same time. And so that's why I throw this out as a social issue, is how as a group of companies and as ecosystems across geographic borders, can we sort of share information to, to sort of combat these threat actors and whatever their motivations are. The motivations to me are less concerned. They may be of concern to other agencies and such in terms of why are they doing this, the intelligence communities and such. From my standpoint in healthcare, in a, in a you know, large but corporate-based American company, um, I'm not sure I really care what the motivation is. I know I'm being impacted, and so how can I help a community of other companies, and how can we share information to sort of combat this? And I think that's the challenge we do have. So, Adam, do you think we can be as socialistic and or have that level of camaraderie across multiple entities along value chain players or even across industries for 
for us to be able to get effective, become effective in in uh, handling these challenges. And as Mike says, forget about what the source is. Don't try to predict what these people with malintent are going to do next. We just focus on securing our fort, and that's the secret recipe. So I think it's I think it's a combination. I believe that um, there are some industry organizations, for example, that that are sharing information pretty well. Um, Educause and higher education does a very good job of, of its 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 members, you know, sharing sharing best practices, sharing intelligence, trying to trying to collate all that so that it, so that it gives them all a better picture. Um, you know, certain vendors are trying to aggregate information for its customers, but that's driven by the profit motive, and it's usually an opt-in situation. We also have organizations like ISACA that, that are looking at um, really, really putting out some best practices and really um, figuring out how to handle these things. The, the one thing that, that um, we have to remember in terms of protecting ourselves and, and helping protect each other is that, as, as Roy said, um, I want to make sure we emphasize this point, Patch management is extremely important. Um, you know, we, we still are getting successful SQL slammer attacks these days because people haven't updated their their very old operating systems and, and other things. So, so we we have to remember um, that that we have to do patch management. We have to look at existing attacks as much as we have to look at at new attacks. So, um, not only are we um, you know are we building are we building a new innovative you know innovative invention. We're also sort of tending to the old defective inventions that we've done in, in security for all these years. You know, and I'd like to add on to what Adam said. Um, you know, I, th I think the sharing of information and intelligence is crucial, as Michael also said, uh, to our survival, regardless of where the attacks are coming from. You know, the financial services industry has done a pretty good job in, in the banking community of sharing attack threat information. Um, the federal government has certainly gotten more involved um, both the Department of Homeland Security and the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Um, you know, the healthcare industry, as, as Mike alluded to, we, you know, we also share. Uh, Mike and I are both involved with uh, High Trust, the Health Information Trust Alliance. Uh, we rolled out our Cyber Threat Intelligence and uh, Incident Coordination Center last year. So in the healthcare community, we've ramped up the sharing of information. I share routinely with some of my CSO colleagues like, you know, John Moore at Humana and others. So we are partnering because I think through that sharing uh, cooperative, you know, we're all better aware of what's happening because I, I think, as Mike, Mike and Adam both said, if it's happening to one of us, it's probably happening to all of us. So the more that we cooperate, the more that we share the threat information, the better all of our defenses can be protecting, whether it's healthcare information, banking information, you know, intellectual property on the manufacturing side. So I think that is key. And then last let's year, take a, when, yeah, last let's year, hold your thought, Adam. Hold your thought, and let's take a quick break. When we come back, let's continue this conversation. It's getting interesting. Thank you so much, and uh, listeners, please stay tuned. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud. The U.S. and Canada represent just 5% of the global population, but collectively we consume about 35% of the world's resources. Supply is not keeping up with demand, so change is not an option, it's imperative. Siemens brings knowledge to power through modernization, responsible energy consumption, and greening the grid projects. Siemens Smart Grid has the answers. Just Google Lead the Charge Portal. 
The switchboards and Rolodexes are gone, and so is the need for a hardware-heavy phone system. These days, over 300,000 businesses use RingCentral, the cloud-based business communication solution for the way you work. Set up multiple users in multiple locations with voice, text, conferencing, even Salesforce integration. And manage your entire system on your smartphone starting at $19.99 a month per user. So get that ancient phone system out of your modern office and off your bottom line. Sign up for a free trial at RingCentral.com. Wait, is that your pager? There's nostalgic, and then there's completely irrelevant, like having a hardware-heavy business phone system. These days, over 300,000 businesses use RingCentral, the cloud-based business communication solution for the way you work. Set up multiple users in multiple locations in minutes and manage the entire system on your smartphone starting at $19.99 a month per user. So get that 20th century phone system out of your 21st century business. Sign up for a free trial at RingCentral.com. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All. Welcome back. So, Adam, uh, you had a short comment on, uh, you know, the last question. Please, please continue. Sure. I was going to say that last year when Anonymous announced um, announced the companies they were going to attack uh, with the DDoS attack, about 30 different financial institutions, um, those financial institutions teamed with a vendor uh, who did to form an ad hoc command and control center so that, so that as those attacks happened, um, they could call in, they could, get, they could get advice from experts, they could advise each other. And although although that attack didn't come to much, um, it, the attacks didn't didn't happen as as promised. That that's a good model to formalize and not to, not to do on an ad hoc basis. So, uh, Roy, coming back to you. So, what do you think uh, organizations, in the interest of securing their fort, and given that there is a renewed attention towards APTs and cyber espionage and others, what should be they be doing to? review and maybe take a very close look at their risk management process overall and how they are establishing security processes. Is there some sort of a playbook that they have, most most organizations have, and now you're going to change the chapters and or uh, renumber them or index them separately? Yeah, I think that's an accurate analogy, Sanjog. I think you know the paradigm has shifted. It's not trying to keep the bad actors out because they are going to get in. It's how you respond you know, once they are in, how quickly can you detect and respond? You know, when we look at it, any organization can really be at risk from a person, a group, you know, a nation state. Um, if they want to attack you, they're going to focus on you. So I think for your playbook, it's now looking at, you know, who is your primary adversary um, and those most likely to attack you from a risk management perspective. So, for example, you know, if you're a bank or a credit union or a member of the financial services sector, you already know, you know, you have two primary groups are going to attack, attack you. you know, those who are focused on disrupting U.S. and Western free enterprise economies, and we've seen that with the banking financial service disruptions and denial of service attacks, and those who might want to focus on large-scale fraud or financial-type crimes, you know, hitting the money systems, hitting ATMs, credit card transaction, payment processing, et cetera. If you're a large aggregator of non-public personal information, and you know 
pretty well what types of attacks you're going to get. It's going to be for identity theft. I think the same goes for, you know, those firms involved in the defense industry, you know, large government contract firms. Um, you know, if, if you're doing research, you know, it's more intellectual property theft. So I think you have to begin with, in your playbook, determining who you're most at risk from, and then study the material that's available, because each of those groups use different methodologies, different attack patterns, and, and you can gain some intelligence from what's already out there uh, and that has been shared. And that's what you begin your playbook from a defensive strategy with. You know, who's going to attack you, who's most likely. But again, it gets back to the fundamentals. You need to first harden your operating systems, you know, change your default passwords, ensure your privileged accounts are, are being monitored, you know, black, uh, black uncategorized websites. Um, you know, if you're not doing business in a specific geographical region, then you blacklist those IP addresses. There are defensive strategies that you take and put in place along with understanding the adversaries that might be targeting your specific institution or organization. So, Mike, what concerns do you think CIO and or other executive management leaders are raising with respect to this? I'm sure they would they don't live this particular space. So the only thing that something related to a cyber espionage or some sort of a threat, which is, uh, you know, shared by someone else, even as a news is only going to create or increase the f- level of fear. What is it that you're doing to address it, especially in this case when you do not have all the answers? And finite resources, uh, fi- finite um, resources as well, right? So, um, you know, when I think about the the McKesson context and colleagues and other similar companies in healthcare, um, yeah, I guess I would suggest that you know what we've been doing in the extent of sort of whack a mole, you know, putting yet another. Uh, device out on the perimeter of our networks or, you know, notwithstanding all of the good practices around hardening and patch management and, you know, we've all got policies and, yes, we try and educate our employees and I think we've got response plans, you know, and they're all working to an extent and they're all good practices to put in, but in essence, we're kind of losing, right? So I think there's a, 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 um, at least I'm observing, a shift in thinking around um, you know, what is the role of a security executive, a risk management executive? And I throw that out in that term. Uh, in so much as those folks with risk management background or folks that can move from a technology discussion, like a security resource um, that traditionally has worked for a CIO or an IT executive, and move more into that risk domain and thinking about, as Roy pointed out, you know, what is a company really worried about? And to, to answer that question, there's a set of skills you need to bring to the table to work with a CIO, work with business partners to understand and discuss the impacts to their business if something wasn't available or something was stolen or it was interrupted. And so, you know, what, what would be the impact? Now, that set of discussions, I think, is, is, in my mind, more of a risk management dialogue. And as Roy alluded to, I see a shift in that direction for individuals like myself in support of the CIO, because candidly, the CIO is sitting there going, this seems to be an unchecked issue. You know, I throw money at it, I throw resources, I still have the issue. In fact, it's more of an issue the next year. What's enough? And, yeah, the reality in this context at the moment is there might not be enough. So we need to get very focused about how we apply the resources that we have in those crown jewels, if you will, or those threat areas in terms of, you know, availability and such. Uh, for our systems. 
and 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 sort of focus our resources in that way. And that is a very business-centric, risk-management-centric dialogue, which I believe is the transition that folks like myself are going through. Now, with what Mike and Roy mentioned about what they are trying to do in order to uh, secure the fraud at their level, um, Adam, question for you is when we last spoke about how they should, uh, how an enterprise can uh, utilize uh, different ways to secure the fraud, you shared a few technologies and maybe a few vendors who are, are doing something better, more progressive. But just by dropping technology to a solution always doesn't truly solve the problem. Now, come to the people and processes side. What have, uh, you know, what has your, your organization and yourself, who you've seen people are doing to actually effectively uh, get a handle on this problem, besides, of course, uh, buying a few tools which will help them uh, do some of the things better? Well, unfortunately, the industry is, is not moving in that direction sort of in current state. Because of the fear of cyber attacks and data security breaches, um, CIOs and CISOs are shifting focus away from disciplines such as enterprise risk management and risk-based information security. And in the last year or so, they've concentrated more technical security. We've just released a study um, about, about enterprise risk management, and we've, we've seen, we've seen uh, quantitatively resources shifting, at least on a temporary basis, to, to technical security from the risk disciplines. Um, you know, I'm a security technologist, and I love talking about tools, but, but in the end, unless we understand the value of our assets, our information assets, and, and the, the way to prioritize protecting them and ways to see that they're being compromised before they become fully compromised, then, then we're, we're, we're going to lose. And, and we're seeing, um, because of this, because of the bright, shiny objects and the, and the, and the anonymous attacks and, and nation-state attacks that have been in the news, um, we've seen we've seen a bit of a bit of defocus, um, and I'm glad I'm glad to hear Michael say that that he sees the industry going toward more of a holistic and I hate that word but risk management process, more of a risk oriented process. That's true as a long term trend. But we've had sort of a hiccup lately where we've where we've gone more toward security technology at the expense of risk management. Um, so so I think that I think that we need to refocus. Um, you know, calm down a bit, refocus, maybe maybe skip a year at, at the RSA conference, and and consider consider um, really prioritizing um, information assets and, and the value of what you're protecting, so that you can protect it in a more intelligent way. I, I think, as Michael you know shared, used the term crown jewels, and I think he's spot on. You know, we've learned that we can't protect everything. Uh, the resources, as Michael shared, you know, just aren't there. You know, as Adam shared, the technology is there, but it's not a 100% um, effective defense mechanism. You know, so we have to look at, from a risk-based perspective, you know, what are the crown jewels, and, and where do we actually, as Michael said, focus our resources as CISOs and CIOs, and, and what do we actually protect? I think the paradigm shift is, instead of trying to protect everything, you know, what are the most important assets? What do you look at? And then you take the approach that you probably will get compromised at some point, Nobody wants to admit that, but that's the reality. Um, and how do you respond to that? So it's, it's more how quickly can you detect a penetration, a, an attack, a compromise, and how do you recover from that? If you can detect quickly, you can mitigate or minimize you know, the loss. You know, if, if an attacker is on your network for a year, then the consequences are just astronomical. So I, I think it gets more instead of a total defensive position, it's more of a risk-based approach, uh, as both Michael and Adam said, and learning to respond and recover quickly 
and, and those lessons learned from others in the industry to bolster your programs, bolster your security defenses. Let's take a quick break, listeners. When we come back, uh, Mike, I'd like you to see if you could inventory the top challenges with respect to making you as and your organization, the, the security management organization or risk management organization, effective. You mentioned there is a lack of resources. Also, it looks like there is a lack of understanding and and there could be uh, some other issues, which we, of course, uh, you can have, you can inventory. And at the same time, you say, if you were to be given the resources and the know-how, et cetera, what is it that you need so that you can do the job of securing the fort and pe- uh, helping people sleep better at night? You get paid for keeping the, the fort secure. Other people don't get paid, but they still don't sleep at night. So that's not justified in the business world or any other organization. So what can we do? What type of resources should we offer you so that you can help them and uh, make everything uh, work well? Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back. Wait, is that your pager? There's nostalgic, and then there's completely irrelevant, like having a hardware-heavy business phone system. These days, over 300,000 businesses use RingCentral, the cloud-based business communication solution for the way you work. Set up multiple users in multiple locations in minutes and manage the entire system on your smartphone starting at $19.99 a month per user. So get that 20th century phone system out of your 21st century business. Sign up for a free trial at RingCentral.com. The U.S. and Canada represent just 5% of the global population, but collectively we consume about 35% of the world's resources. Supply is not keeping up with demand, so change is not an option, it's imperative. Siemens brings knowledge to power through modernization, responsible energy consumption, and greening the grid projects. Siemens Smart Grid has the answers. Just Google Lead the Charge Portal. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud. The switchboards and Rolodexes are gone, and so is the need for a hardware-heavy phone system. These days, over 300,000 businesses use RingCentral, the cloud-based business communication solution for the way you work. Set up multiple users in multiple locations with voice, text, conferencing, even Salesforce integration, and manage your entire system on your smartphone starting at $19.99 a month per user. So get that ancient phone system out of your modern office and off your bottom line. Sign up for a free trial at RingCentral.com. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All. Welcome back. So, Mike, uh Appeal to you is to first inventory the top challenges and then what will you do to make sure uh, things are taken care of and what resources you need uh, to be effective versus because we don't have resources, we cannot do much, and that is a spiraling down effect. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think this is, a, this is a, a key question, right? I mean, I think traditionally, you know, an individual like myself in a company 
could not help themselves but sell you know, sell fear, right, in terms of um, the harm um, from these types of attacks and such. And so, you know, I think we need to sort of shift that a little bit, right, in terms of um, think of other ways and approaches to capture the imagination and apply our resources in that in that realm. So, for instance, in healthcare, um, I, I mentioned earlier that I think one of the key challenges we have is that we have, you know, sort of an integrated system. There's a reliance more and more on, you know, health systems, like, for instance, these insurance exchanges that we saw recently, right, and they had some issues and, and that, that undermined the trust that patients have in those systems, and we're trying to build a certain amount of trust in this industry, right, uh, particularly in the system side of the house. So um, how I frame things at McKesson is, you know, we're obviously a vendor of health systems as, as well as many, many other activities across the health continuum. Um, and so I've focused in that realm to say, hey, you know, 8,600 or so developers, um, what what do you need to be effective in your role in developing secure code? And okay. and what that means is, you know, you need some tools, you need some guidelines, you need some education. So we had a conference last year um, for, you know, a few hundred of those 8,600. And we brought them together, and I brought in a an individual that I'd seen at Black Hat who was able to, you know, change settings in terms of a biomedical device, happen to be an insulation pump, um, uh, insulin pump rather, and make it work erratically. And, you know, you could take a fear, uncertainty and doubt perspective on that, but with a group of technologists, it became almost a discussion of, wow, how did you do that? And it became curiosity. And then that led to well, how could you, you know, what are the implications in terms of our software and the reliance that physicians and practitioners put in relying on our software being predictable and reliable? And so that sort of underscored this theme of, well, okay, what resources do you need, developer, to, you know, help you do your job so that we have code that goes out the door that's secure? So, you know, there's an example of, of sort of trying to change the dialogue in a corporation, at least in our context, um, away from that fear where, Will's not sort of running away from the reality of the situation at the same time. So, Adam, if you were to give an advice to the world out there, and given your experience so far talking to many of them, what is it that you feel should be done by the CISOs and their crew in order for them to be able to uh, be ready for APTs and, and start getting better, given I'm assuming that these things are going to get worse in terms of sophistication and unpredictability. Well, you do need to investigate the newest techniques to stop the advanced attacks and the malware that are attached to them. That's important. You need to have a DDoS strategy just to stop distributed denial of service as, they, as people attempt to take down your operations. But more than anything, you, you need an incident response plan. Um, we, have a, we have a strategic planning assumption here at Gardner that says through 2016, 75% of CISOs who experience publicly disclosed security breaches and lack documented tested response plans will be fired. And, you know, 75% is actually a pretty conservative estimate there. And 2016 could be extended until, you know, in, in, in an infinite amount of time. We, you need to, as, as I believe Roy said, you will be penetrated. You will be compromised. And if you, can't fee, if you don't have measures in place, defined measures, programmatic measures, to, to remove the threat once it's there, then you're just gonna you're just gonna lose, and your organization's gonna lose. So 
understand you're going to be penetrated and be ready to react. How unreasonable is that, uh, Adam, for someone to say, when I don't have a clue what's going to happen next and I'm going to get fired for something like that? How unreasonable is it for a person to, to, to say that? No, not say, because you, you, there's a prediction that they will get fired, and I don't want to uh, have the CISO community be totally scared and not be able to, or maybe change their career path. Well, right. Well, well the, the CISOs like Roy and Michael, who come up with defined incident response plans, and, and, and they have those documented and, and agreed to by, by the corporate officers, those will be the CISOs who prosper. They're not going to get fired because they get, it, because they get penetrated. They're going to get fired because they're not ready to react once they're penetrated. Okay, so, uh, Roy, to end this, to prevent a pink slip for CISOs around the world, what's your message? <laughs> um, you know, being a CISO is the same as being uh, any other IT executive or even a non-technology executive. You know, we all face constraints. We have limited budgets. Uh, we have to prioritize our resources. So it, it gets down to risk management. It gets down to all the things we talked about, making sure the basics are done, patching of operating systems and applications and, you know, privileged accounts, uh, making sure those are secure, changing passwords. But I think it's also, um, as Adam was, was sharing and Mike was sharing, it's communicating with your business community and your executive management team what the risks truly are. And then, as Michael claimed, um, you know, the crown jewels, making sure that those are protected. So how do you focus the limited resources that you have on protecting those crown jewels? And that's risk management. But also, as Adam was saying, having a plan in place you know, to respond to a breach or to a, to a penetration. Uh, security isn't, isn't just the technology, it's the people in the process. And I think if you're doing those things as a CISO, you're not going to get the pink slip. Um, I, I think it's communication, it's planning, it's prioritization. You know, the threats are real that we've discussed, but you can't prepare for those. And there are a lot of fundamental basics that you can also do um, to limit your exposure and to limit your risks. On behalf of the show and our listeners, I'd really like to thank you, Roy, uh, Mike, and Adam, for sharing your thoughts about how uh, the advanced persistent threats, which may be uh, impacting the enterprises and our nation, also are, are in some form or fashion are also impacting the way people are using their resources today, how we can handle them, maybe plan to work alongside other people in your community as well as our, our own people below us and above us and make this uh, – uh, a predictable way to handle uh, any such cybersecurity threats and or advanced persistent threats. Thank you so much again. And uh, listeners, if you have any questions or comments, please send us to questions at CIOtalkradio.com. That is questions at CIOtalkradio.com. And also please like us on Facebook, search for CIO Talk Radio, and be sure to follow us on Twitter. Thank you again for listening to CIO Talk Radio. This is Sanjog All, your talk show host. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Please join Sun Joke All next Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Central Time, and 10 a.m. Eastern Time for another hour of CIO Talk Radio on the Voice America Business Channel. CIO Talk Radio is brought to you by HP and Siemens Smart Grid.